0: Welcome back, everyone, to Healing for the Soul podcast, with this being season number four, episode number 82. I'm your host, Robin Stoltman, and today I have my guest, Alan Stevens, who is a profiling communication specialist, and he is on the show talking about what is rapid trait profiling and can it help you parent better? And before we get started, remember, every week I feature different guests to help you become the best version of yourself. Through different methods you may not have heard of or thought of so let's get started thank you alan for being here i really appreciate it i'm very excited for today
1: well thanks very much we've been chatting a little bit in the past and i thought this would be a really lovely show to come on so thanks for the invitation
0: no problem i'm i'm really fascinated by this because i like um i said i did your little um free series that you had a free little mini series for the videos and i was just like this is amazing I probably shouldn't start with that, but um, you want to let people know about where they can find your location at for your website and how to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, well, the uh, website, as you can see down the bottom of the screen, is alanstevens.com.au, and I also have a um, a free gift for everybody. If they put the forward slash after that and the word free, it will take them through to my training uh, platform where they can uh, jump on that free course and uh, give it a test for themselves because the end of the day we're going to talk about a lot of things today i'm sure a lot of people are going to go mm, i don't really know about this and others will say they love it but i'll tell everybody go out and test it for yourself the proof is always in the pudding it's in the eating of the pudding not just in smelling it and looking at it go out and try it
0: i agree with you 100 percent. it's really fun so who or what inspired you to do this work that you do
1: Oh, I became a, uh, a world authority on reading people after having been, and believe it or not, absolutely useless at it. I'd been through two divorces, a lot of broken relationships. I'd had business partners who had emptied the bank out. And it was after my second divorce and as a uh, massage therapist, working with um, uh, terminally all patients and them having uh, coming to me for different conditions and some of them reversing their conditions at the same time working with a company that taught currency trading and they brought me in to figure out why none of their students made any uh, money, uh, that I realised that um, a bit back in those days, I used to use psychometric profiling, Myers, Briggs, DISC and other programs where you'd ask people questions and you'd work out their personalities. But when you ask people questions, whether the, do they understand the words you're using? Is their interpretation of the words the same as yours? Is there anything emotionally going on with them at the time is it you know what's their experiences in the past their gender their uh, culture their religions etc and so i realized that the people when we profiled them weren't matching their per- their personalities and i needed a better system of uh, doing things and i've always lived by the philosophy that the most important thing i'll ever learn is the next thing i learn after i think i know everything so when somebody mentioned to me one day have you ever looked at reading faces Well, I couldn't help myself. I uh, got on uh, good old Google, did some searching and uh, found different specialists around the world who were working in different areas. I'd already uh, picked up uh, my NLP. I've been working with body language since the 70s, 1970s. And uh, I then uh, created Rapid Trait Profiling, which brought four different uh, sciences together, four different modalities. And I put them together into which they've become an art form. So you might say the science and art of reading people. And that's what rapid trait profiling is all about.
0: I love that, especially because, like I said, I had the NLP background, so I understand the NLP. Mm. I didn't know that you've been doing it since the 70s. So you, you're more of a pro at it than I am, which you're is awesome. Longer. That that's you're good.
1: Yeah, I've been around a lot longer than you too. True, true. <laughs> so yeah, you know, this is my seventy-first you know, uh, year on the planet. So yes, I've uh, always now always be a learner. I will never stop doing that. As a moment you stop uh, learning, you stop growing. And when you stop growing, that's when you start rotting. And I think people who are active and keep their mind active and are out there trying to help other people as well, always uh, live longer.
0: They certainly do. My grandpa was living proof of that. Yeah, 80, 87 years old, he's the only person that I know that was still running his own business, still doing everything until he passed. So... Um, That's
1: right.
0: What type of therapies have you learned? Do you well, mention
1: I, some of them? Yeah, well, I've been a massage therapist, aromatherapist. I got involved in you know, color therapies and uh, sound therapies, and I introduced both of those into the Singapore hospital for the kids with ADHD. I've worked with binaural tones to be able to um, you know, work with the mind and either lift it up, level it down, you know, playing uh, subliminal sounds, et cetera. I've a uh, Reiki master, NLP masters. as one of my friends said to me recently, Alan, you've done just about every therapy there is. It's probably time you were in therapy. And I looked at him and I went, You could be right on that one. <laughs> so, but I've, as I said, I've always had a fascination for um, uh, yeah, learning and growing from there, but not just grabbing one modality and going, oh, this is the you know, the bee's knees. This is the you know, best things in sliced bread the power in the different modalities really uh, comes into play when you put them together. And so if a client comes in to see me, I'm thinking, and listening to them, finding out what they're looking for and then working out what's the best modality. Since I've been profiling, that's changed a fair bit because my focus is more on that area, helping people to understand themselves and understand other people. If somebody, when I was a massage therapist, would call me up and tell me about the problems they were having, I would then uh, be looking at, well, can I help them? What's the best modalities that I should be using to help them? And if I uh, thought that somebody else could do a better job, that they would align with them better, then I would then uh, get the other person to come in, you know, send, re- redirect them to the other person.
0: You know, that's a good way of doing it, especially with business, because that's one of the things that I like to do myself as well, especially because it's like it's more of that combination Of different things like what you said for the different modalities like you combine like the profiling in with nlp and then there's other aspects and if you know you're not quite that fit and then you pass them on to somebody else to me Hmm. it's not just networking but it's also helping build that relationship within business
1: Hmm. and that's the part
0: that i like
1: everything's connected because if you stop and you think about that side of it we all everyone's saying that they want raving fans well, raving fans only come about by giving them a service that they couldn't have got anywhere else That they really love uh, what you're doing. If you're just saying, right, well, I've got to work with that person because, yes, I can get paid for it, but you can't do the best job for them, you're not going to get raving fans. I want to work oh, with nice. the people that, because everyone says to me, you know, you know, who do you associate with or where do you go? I go, I don't go where I'm tolerated, I go where I'm celebrated. And so that's how I get raving fans. My expertise in working with parents and school children. I've got clients who are still doing testimonial videos for me 10, 12 years after I've worked with them. You know, I had one father the other week you know, doing a Facebook Live in talking to somebody else, and he just broke into tears talking about what his children have achieved and the relationship he's got with them and i profiled uh, his 5 year old and 7 year old his 5 year old son and 7 year old daughter 7 years ago and so oh, wow. that's the they're the, the the people i want to work with the ones that i can really help you know if i'm just working with somebody to make some money then i really need to recheck what i'm doing
0: i agree with you that's why I me mean. i'm like it's not about the money it's more about the passion and being able to help the person And know that what I'm doing is actually helping that person.
1: Yeah, well, as I say, what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community is and always will be eternal. Mm -hmm. And that's how, when you're doing that, you feel better about yourself. The thoughts that you have create different, every thought we have creates a chemical reaction. And so if we're feeling better about ourselves, the chemicals going through our body are feeding our body, not eating it. And so the people who aren't feeling the best They're damaging their own um, health. So if I want to be healthy and stay young and everything else, the best way I can do that is by helping other people. And, you know, because when we help somebody, we always get the endorphins, we always get that good feeling. You know, we help somebody, we've been paid.
0: Yes, and you get get paid a lot more than what you think.
1: That's it. Some people ask me for support. If I can help them, I'll do that without the expectation that they have to help me back. Because I believe that I've just been paid in the moment. I've helped them because I'm That's feeling true. pretty good about it.
0: Yeah, that is true. And I'm I'm glad that you have more of that mm. kind of that kind of way to look at it because there's mm. getting fewer and fewer people that look at it that way in the generations that are coming, you know, that are coming up more. And it's sad. Mm. At least for me, I I view it as sad because it should be more about helping other people before us. And it's not just helping before ourselves either, but Mm. it's more of that being able to get to know another person, being able to really bond with them, work with them, help Mm. them, watch them to grow. And you can do that with business. That's the amazing part because like you said, it it doesn't die with you then.
1: That's it. You're
0: giving it to the community. You're giving it to other people.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, just staring at uh, your baby there, just looking at the shape of the ear. We were talking about music before, and that C-shaped ear that, uh, that's there—that's mm-hmm. the music ear, as I said. So, you know, as they say, music. This is a savage beast, and when a child's carrying on, we quite often view them that way. It's, uh within it, very much the uh, the music.
0: Yeah, I see that.
1: Hmm.
0: It reminds me of like the cliff notes. Mm. You know, not like cliff notes, but um, I remember. It's I'm trying to remember what it is for the bass. Theirs is different. I'm trying to remember it because I know there's a treble clef. So I'm like trying to, mm. <laughs> trying to remember what it was for the piano because they've got the backward C Like, look to it. I'm trying mm. to remember.
1: Yeah. Well, if you think about it, the reason we have ears is so it collects the sound and brings it, it channels it into the mm-hmm. ear channel if he's got a nice C-shaped ear, it's going to bring the um, the sound in more uh, smoothly and so a, a natural gift for uh, music. So using music to uh, quieten him down, lift him up, and when they're uh, studying the later years, music's going to be the way, and especially when they start getting into their emotions as teenagers, keeping an eye on because they listen to the type of music they're playing. That will tell you a lot about what's going on inside them.
0: And that makes a lot of sense, especially with teenagers nowadays mm, yeah. to really be able to help them out. So I can see that where this would benefit because what is the profiling overall? Like what does it all entail?
1: Well, it, it's all about building a relationship with people, understanding and connecting with them. And, you know, we've just been talking about a physical feature. The, that's one of the uh, modalities that I'm uh, uh, using. The and it's the, probably the most powerful. Yes, we've got a lot of excitement with things like body language and microexpressions. You know, we had the Light of Me show on TV that uh, was all the research was done by Paul Ekman originally, uh, one of the main players in the game. Uh, then we've got the, uh, the mentalist side of things, looking at body language and other things. Body language and microexpressions have been around for, you know, well, they've been around as long as we've been around, but the understanding of it has been around for quite some time. Because I think Paul started his research in 1969 and uh, when he did his um, his thesis going to the Foray tribe in Papua New Guinea and, uh, you know, b- working with them to work out which expressions which were universal. Those things are quite sexy when you're looking at CSI and NCIS movies and all that sort of thing. But I'm all about building a relationship with somebody. It's not about... If I use the micro and body language, is not as a lie detector, but as a truth seeker. What I want to know is first of all, all about that person: how they like to be spoken to, how they like to be treated, how I need to change the way I need to be, I like to be spoken to to match the way that they need to be spoken to. Once I've got that, then I've got I know what language he is, and when I'm talking to them, I've got the feedback from the body language and the expressions that tell me have I read them right? Is there something emotionally going on, and are they telling the truth? But as I said, using that as a truth seeker, so they're not telling me the truth, why aren't they showing me the truth? It could be you know, in the middle of a sale and somebody's, I realise something emotional is going on. Well, I know they're not listening to me you know, doing a sale. i better stop talking about that and see if I can uncover what's going on. And if I can help them with that, and if I can, then I've built an even stronger rapport with them. There's greater trust. And because I've gone through that process, it's a genuine trust that they have for me because I've been genuinely trying to help them. So the facial uh, features, and this is where um, a lot of people listening to this might go, ooh, this is a bit woo-woo. This is a bit uh, clairvoyancy, what's going on here. But it's pretty simple. If you lift weights, you're going to build muscles. Any repetitive movement of a muscle is going to shape it. And so at the same time, the body language and micro-expressions express what we, we feel inside. So it's showing that everything we feel inside, we express outwardly. So while you're sitting and concentrating and really thinking and pulling expressions, you're pulling expression over and over. So on your face, you're going to create ridges and crevices, wrinkles and other things. Like looking at you, I can see that you've got the deep these little raised sections above your eyebrows. That's about detail. You need detail. Yes, you're going to analyse it as well. Get make sure all the details there. But I know that once you've got it, it's like just give me the best way to do it and get the hell out of the way and let me get it done. don't yep. the time to muck around. So the face tells me that. So I know straight away how I need to deliver information to you. Anything i present to you better have all the detail there. If you're going to go looking for it, you're not going to be happy because it's taking you away from the action of getting things done. And so I know that. So it puts me in the position of being able to tune my transmitter into your receiver. So talking to you you the way that you want to be spoken to. This is all about building relationships and then I use the body language and the expressions just to give me that feedback, because even though I've profiled tens of thousands of people, I'd never assume that I've got it right. You know, somebody said to me uh, the other week, "You know, how accurate is this?" And I said, "Well, nothing's 100% accurate, and I've you know profiled that many people, I've never assumed that I was right, but I'm yet to be proven wrong. And because it's a combination of traits, each trait will tell me something. Put the traits together. And it shows me that person's personality, and in reality, we've got no two people on the planet have the same personality. This is why I moved away from any psychometric profiling to put people in boxes, and uh, that's where um, this has all come from.
0: I like that because I don't fit in the box. None of us do. No, it, it's like they always try to fit. They always try to fit us into boxes, especially in the mm. traditional therapy. And I'm like, mm. well, we're not all the same. We all have mm. different backgrounds I mean, like even identical twins they still do things differently
1: yeah one will lead one will um because yeah even if they were joined at the hip if they're looking in a different direction they're going to take in different information and that's going to impact on them so i think the uh i think it was the air force um, i think it was the american air force who worked out that there is no such thing as normal they looked at what the average um, person was like they designed a chair you know, in the cockpit for the fighter pilots that was based on what they thought was an average of everything. Nobody fitted it. It was a total waste of time because there is no such thing as an an average or no such thing as normal, really.
0: Because...
1: We all vary all the time. You know, we talk about, well, I do a lot of work in the area of mental health as well with the Campfire Project and the Business of Spiles, which are two charities that I I'm I'm part, part run one and I run the other one. And uh, that's all about being able to recognise the difference in everybody. Once you do that, the person that you're talking to and they feel that you're treating them as an individual separate from everybody else, they feel like they're being trust, trusted they're more likely to open up and share. I'm more able to uh, help them out when I'm talking to them.
0: And that would help. That helps a lot then too, because they get that validation.
1: Mm, That's exactly right.
0: I was going to say now earlier, when you were um, talking right before the campfire project that you had mentioned, you had mentioned about for the personality traits or the character traits and I was wondering, would that help somebody like with employment then too to know for their employees so they can catch if they're unhappy or like when you were um, saying mm-hmm. about like for my eyebrows, like mm-hmm. for example, like the ridge above mm-hmm. that I'm just like, give me the details, you know, move out of my way because that's just, mm-hmm. you know, you're accurate on that. So mm-hmm. I was wondering, would that help hire the right employees? and then to know if the employees are starting to have difficulties so that maybe they could potentially um, help an, employer, an employee out that may be going through mental health issues.
1: Yeah. Well, if you think about, first of all, when we're happy, we're more productive. When yes. we're doing things that match our personality, we're happier. We're more, we, we create more. So any organization who's not using this is throwing money away. Because we know in Australia, well, the stats are showing that when you've got 40% of the people who feel that they're being bullied, their performance drops anything up to 70%. The people mm-hmm. who are watching that, their performance will drop 40%. The average uh, performance uh, uh, levels that are lost in an average size organisation is about 29, 30% of their products. Sorry, profits are gone simply because people aren't working at their best. All the reports that are coming out at the moment are showing that all small um, and medium-sized businesses have, you know, have had problems with at least fifty percent of their staff with the, uh, you know, turning up late and other things. People not knowing their rosters. The thing is, if you uh, well, let's start at the very early phase, and I'll just take it right through the whole lot. At birth, we can pick up to anything up to about ten traits in a newborn child. By the time they're five years old there's about 24 traits. By the time they're 10, there's about 40 traits. Before they pick their final subjects for school, we've got about 60 traits out of the 68 traits, there's a few that sort of really develop into our uh, into our early 20s. So if we're able to read traits in a child, we can see what gifts have been passed down. We've got a good idea of what they're gonna be like before they get to school, where they're gonna fit the education system. We know what hobbies and sports will suit them before they pick their final subjects at school, we know what type of careers will suit them. So instead of giving them the job guide and go, go read this, you know, it's a white telephone, residential directory, as far as that goes, or you say to them, look, here's a couple of jobs that may match your personality, go and check these out in the job guide. So they're making their own decisions, they're doing their own research, but they've given some direction on where to start. It's like giving them a um, a yellow telephone book uh, directory of uh, services. Then when they pick their final subjects, they're more likely to go off to university and complete their courses because how many people have got uh, university degrees that they don't use? I even know people who have got second degrees and don't there's use it.
0: way too many people out there. That's what I've been telling people. I'm like, there's no sense in going to college until you know what it is that you want to do. There really isn't.
1: Yeah, the I mean, I would have saved
0: tons of money if I would have just picked one if I already knew what I wanted to do to begin with.
1: See, a lot of people will say to kids when they leave school, you know, go and have a gap year. Go and learn, work out what you want. But that's 12 months they can spend out there doing that, whereas we've got a good idea long before they even get to that age what that will suit them. They then get to go into, because we've got people over here in Australia who were saying, you know, got degrees who were saying, do you want fries with that? Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, they're working in McDonald's and wow. places because they can't get the uh, into those careers. Well, they don't want those careers, but the um, if you have um, got a, you know what career will suit you, you go off to university, you do your course, you then go into that uh, particular field. You're more likely to stay there because it's something you like to do. At the same time, if you're happier at work, you're more productive for the company. The company makes more money. But then you you go home, you're happier as well. If you're miserable at work you're going to take your this rubbish about leave your work life at work and your home life at home we're emotional beings it's impossible we take it with us so we take yep. the problems of the workplace back home and that causes problems with our spouse next thing you know that can even lead to domestic violence and the kids are miserable as well so there's bullying going on in the household and things like that for no other reason than that the situation the environment was not healthy it wasn't the people that were wrong it was the situation that we put those people in or that they put themselves in. At work, if they're more productive, the company's making more money. So if the business owner knows how to read the person, knows what uh, tasks and, uh, 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 what do you call it, jobs that will uh, suit their personality, they then put them in those roles. And the person, as I said, is more productive. You've Then by being able to watch the body language the expressions, the rest of it, bring it all together, you know whether your staff For working at their top performance. You you don't have to micromanage them, and that's where most businesses go wrong because when they say, well, I've got to watch my staff and they'll micromanage, the staff will only do what they have to do to get by. And so the the work they're doing is definitely nowhere near as productive. If you trust your staff by putting them in the right jobs, letting them feel that they belong, that they contribute, that they're valued, when you're not there, I guarantee they're going to still be working hard. They'll be coming up to you with ideas as well because they feel that they own it. They have a they have a place. And anybody, the place that you have, you take pride in it. You want to look after it, whether that be at work or at home or anywhere else. And this is where, you know, we're missing the thing. We're, we're saying, we've got to put all these new systems in. We were talking about computer systems and everything else earlier on before we started.
0: Yep. The most
1: important thing is getting your relationships right. There is it no such thing as a business relationship. Every relationship is human to human. Businesses don't talk to each other. but people in the business talk to each other. So once we realise that every relationship is a personal relationship, then we've, uh, we're moving in the right direction. We put that together and people will feel that they belong, they contribute. And the old saying, you've got to work on your business, not in your business, or well, you can't when you're micromanaging, You can't, when you haven't put the people in the right uh, positions, you've mismatched them with the jobs they should be doing. And so you're going to be losing money. But if you um, treat people in that way, you can go on holidays and the company will still grow in your absence. And that's where people should be looking at how do I build this so that, uh, you know, because think of it from your own personal view. People will say, well, I'm running a business and, you know, their lives are theirs. I'm paying them for their work. Well, you're paying them for their work, but you're not getting the productivity because you haven't taken that little bit of time out to make sure you had the right people in the right jobs and you made sure they were treated the right way. as I say, if you look after your staff, they will look after your customers. And that's the best way to look after your customers. Because if you're just looking after the customers and your staff aren't, you're losing customers hand over fist. But if uh, you look after your staff, they will then look after your customers and you'll make more money.
0: That's true. Because a person notices that, like when they go into different places, mm. like even around town, like um, if you go to shop, if you shop local, I'm sure you notice it. If you if you shop local, there's people that are willing to help you. They're they're more friendly. They're more there to guide and help you. Like they want to help you. Versus you go to places like Walmart and just the big box places, they don't care. They're just walking around doing their mm-hmm. own thing. They're not there to actually help you. They're more for a paycheck
1: versus the local. Well, test it out when you do go to places like Walmart, when you're going out through the checkout. Just watch the people. When you're in the line, watch watch the people who are working at the checkout and you see their posture and everything else. And then when you come up and you're being served, look for something that you like. It might be the colour of their eyes. It might be something that they're um, they're doing. I quite often compliment some of the ones on the way in which they're packing the... uh, the, the bags that I've got there, you know, all my products going in. And I'll make a comment about that. I'll ask them about their day. Watch their posture change. And at that moment, their performance changes as well. So those that are packing the boxes that weren't looking, you know, you know just throwing things in, all of a sudden they take more care. Because everybody wants to feel that they're valued, that they belong, that they contribute. It's the same with your, your partner, you know, your, okay. your love relationships. If people don't feel that they value, that they belong, that they can contribute, then there's not going to be uh, any sex or anything else coming out of it, and the person's more likely to walk out on you. True. So this is the thing. it's Your relationships have got to come first. People say to me, oh, but you've got to have a good product and service. Yes, you do. It's important to have the relationships. It's important to have the good product or service. The one that has the priority, though, is build a relationship because you don't build a relationship. You never get the chance to show people how good your product or service is.
0: That is very, very true. And like everything that we've been talking about in general, even though um, I'd asked you about like for the employment, that still all pertains very much to the children as well. Mm. Like in schools, because then they can get along with each other better. I can see how this would help. You know the hmm. parents be able to get along with their children better not just their hmm. spouse but being able to get along with their children as well
1: well if i might i'll just share a couple of um of uh, my clients and they're telling everybody so it's quite um okay for me to share their stories one mother uh, this is about 12 years ago now when her son was six uh i was doing a workshop for her she used to run a singles group where do you go to meet people without going to pubs and clubs and so I did an event for her on that weekend called How to Avoid the Psychopath and Other Practical Dating Tips. And her, uh, it was done in a big theater with the balcony and everything else. And she had a son there this afternoon and he was running around making noise and everything else. But I was still able to work with the group uh, without any problems. But at the end of it, she said, oh, can you profile him? And I said, well, will he sit still for me? And she said, no. And I said, well, can you take some photographs? Because facial features, features don't change overnight. If I've got your features, I've got your personality. And if I've got uh, like a a photograph today and a photograph of years ago, I've got a good idea of what things have happened in your life in the meantime as well, whether you've been through stress or good times and things like that. But she uh, sent the photographs to me. And yes, he was in different outfits. So even she had trouble getting five photographs taken at the one time. I profiled him, gave her a report back. And in those days, I used to use a written one. And it was good that I did then because she took it to the school and the after school's care. The after school's care didn't want him anymore. The school wanted him to be more heavily medicated to get him to fit into the classroom. And it was all about him fitting in, not about his um, uh, welfare. And um, she told each of them that if the, uh, the others were, the other person was not, so she told the teachers, the after school were do She told the after school, the teachers are doing this. If you don't do this, it's not going to work. It's going to fail and you'll be responsible. Neither parties wanted to be held responsible, they put it in place. They said that he would never do presentations in front of the class. At the age of uh, uh, seven, he was standing in front of the class doing presentations. A year and a half later, they were able to uh, let the psychologist go, didn't need him anymore, and with the doctor's approval, reduced his medication. At the age of 11, he wanted a birthday party with all of his mates. And uh, she dreaded it at first, but had it. She said it was noisy, but it was just a noisy boys' party. At the age of uh, you know, 14, they did bring the psychologists back in then because it was um, puberty was setting in. And I thought, somebody else can handle that. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, then uh, at the age of 16, one of the girls at school had put a post up on the Bulletin board that she had um, been kicked out by her mother. Her grandmother uh, wouldn't let her in. She'd actually self-harmed and she was suicidal. Nobody did anything about it, but this young fellow Jack. He uh, said to her, look, you're coming to see mum. He rang his mother, told her what was going on, said, could I bring her over? She stayed with them that night. They were able to then get her into the right support. Now, the principal didn't do anything. The school teachers didn't do anything. Only Jack did. This was a boy that everyone said would never amount to anything. He's now an oh, entrepreneur. And as his mother said, the conversations they've had all the way through have been absolutely magic she said you know she can talk to him about anything and the wisdom that comes from him that never would have happened if he'd been medicated you know, through no. all those years and so that's one area the other one i profiled a five-year-old boy and a seven-year-old girl for their father This was seven years ago the five year old um, music trait as his father said he was always manic he was always you know so much energy And uh, he thought, yeah, he needed medicating. But um, he wasn't getting on with his son. He said, it's really hard. And I said, well, number one, he had a music trait. was the main thing that I could see and plus some other traits. But on the music trait, told him how to handle that. He did come back to me. He said, Alan, talking to you costs me money. I said, what? And he said... My son, we found out he really did, does love love music, and now we're up for dance lessons and piano lessons. And I said, "Well, wipe the foot smile off your face while you're complaining about the money." And, uh, and he's got this great relationship with him. His sis- his daughter, the young boy's sister, uh, she had two traits I could see that were going to be a problem at school. One was critical perception. I'm not critical judgment variation, I should say. Where she we get have ideas that nobody else would pick up, but because she only she wasn't analytical like you, she just wanted the overview, least amount of information to make a decision. If she was talking to somebody who was more analytical, and she came up with an idea, especially if it was a school teacher, the school teacher wanted to know more about it. If she couldn't explain it in satisfaction to the other person, over a while she'd be told to sit down and be quiet. And kids who have that trait usually cop that through school. And so when they go into the boardroom, when they were asked to give um, their ideas, withhold their ideas. We lose a valued um, resource when that happens. But she also had a pioneering trait and I knew between those two traits she would have a problem at school. The pioneering trait was she liked to do things that nobody else has done. She wanted to be the first. Well, I gave her father information about how to handle that. Recently he did a Facebook Live and he burst into tears talking to the other guy who is you know, asked him about uh, things that were happening with his daughter, now she's 14. At the age of 14, she's now in the, under, the under-16s basketball uh, for the state. And so she's really achieved there. But when she was seven, the trade size said he should look at, she became a published author on Amazon at the age of eight. She started her own coaching business by writing her own affirmation cards and taking those to school and giving out to the kids. And her father said, You know, that's costing me money. I said, What? He said, Well, she writes the affirmation cards, we laminate them, and she takes them to school for the kids. And I went, Yeah, so you're talking about the cost of laminate. He says, No, no, he's got a deal that every new affirmation that she writes in her language, not going and researching on the internet and writing down an adult one, but writing in her language, that the other kids will understand. He so I have to pay her a dollar. I said, What do you up to? He said, $25. <laughs> I went, Well, <laughs> Stop complaining when you get to 2,500. Well, then come and talk to me. But, um, you know, this is the whole thing. If we can read our children, we understand how they need to be spoken to. We know with girls between the age of 11 and 15 we will find that more than 5% will try and commit suicide. The boys from 15 to 19% here in Australia as well, are uh, the highest achievers at committing suicide of all the ages, and then after oh. that it's in their you know their thirties and forties mainly because they're taking redundancy and things like that, and their identity as a hunter, as a provider, is gone, and so they question their uh, their actual place on the planet. But uh, if you've got children at those ages, you want to make sure that when they've got stress and everything else, they come and talk to you. There is nothing more devastating. having a teenager pass away the impact that has every kid at school is impacted the families around it their family you know it's hundreds of people who are affected by that uh, death but if the parent is connected to the child the child feels safe to come back and talk to them and it also disempowers some of the um molesters and pedophiles that are out there because they, you know, people who abuse children will manipulate the child and tell them if they tell anybody, you know, there'll be shame and everything else that goes with it. And the child then doesn't say anything. But if the child's got a great connection with the parents because the parent really knows how to talk to them and it built that relationship, the child's just going to go, no way, straight back to the parents and tell them what's going on. And so this is how everything's impacted. You know, it's like with the campfire project. It's I created that with the hashtag We Together because everything's connected. And we work together, we solve our problems. So in a family situation, it's very much hashtag we together. It's a case of know your children, know how to talk to them, have that bond with them so that they feel safe to come and see you and talk to you. Not as a friend, but as you know, their parent, knowing that their parent is somebody who nurtures and, uh, and protects them and everything else, which is far more powerful than having a friend. Because friends it is. will walk away, whereas a family, to really care what
0: i agree with you a hundred percent on that because that's a lot of what my um, not a lot that is what my mission is is to recreate that parent bond because mm-hmm. there's too many children that like you said they do commit suicide that's because their parents are not connecting because they've got the smartphones they've got mm-hmm. all the social media they got all this stuff and the parents aren't talking to their children mm-hmm. and the parents don't know how to help their children they've lost touch with reality way too much and for me it breaks my heart because my kids we don't have the social media we don't got the tablets they don't get that stuff I'm like we don't need that
1: that's it so a lot of the men yeah the women the the mothers who are listening to this I'm sure will be the ones who are going yeah I need to know more about this yes the ones I really want to jump on board are the fathers at the moment roughly 50 percent of families you know marriages break up in a lot of cases the father then becomes absent they might have been physically or emotionally absent before that because they were working in the work all the time trying to provide for the family but what we found is that um, boys especially uh, teenage boys they need to have their fathers around them and i explained in a couple of uh, interviews just recently what i was talking about boys will be noisy they will carry on and everything else, especially when they get their team into their teens they will all rough house they'll They'll be bad, even behave badly in public. It's the same as watching young bucks in the bush. The bucks will charge at each other around springtime. They're jockeying for position. Where do I fit? Yeah, we're all trying to be alphas. And the, what happens is we let them do that so they can then get that out of the system, get some sort of identity. But this is where the older men were supposed to step in and go, rightio, now you've got that out of your system. Let's forget about being an alpha and become a real man become yep. a man and not trying to be the man because when you're trying to be an alpha then competing with everybody else lonely place you know it's no real support and a lot of uh, boys will grow up and never really go into manhood no matter how old they get because they're still going to be boys because they're still trying to be that young buck who um is the uh man trying to be better than everybody else and we see it in our politicians we see it in our sporting stars and we see it in our um, entertainers as well all the egos and everything else. Whereas somebody who wants to be the best version of themselves, whether they're still with their partner or not, I teach people how to co parent their children. And because my first wife left, and I had three boys to raise on my own. And I realized as they grew up, if they didn't respect her, they weren't likely to respect the women that they were connecting with. So that's I not good. built a relationship with her to co parent the boys. So that she was brought back into the uh the, the 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 family type thing and as i said to her my job is to help them uh, respect you but once they do respect you by the way they'll always love you but uh, to get them to respect you is the first thing but once you i do that your job then is to maintain it so we had to work together at that point i got them to that point where they respected her and then you know, she then maintained it from there and you know it's a matter of choice how you handle things I looked at it and thought, right, if I bagged her about anything, I'm telling my boys that half of them is no good. Because they're made up of her DNA and my DNA. And it's the same thing with the mothers, you know, having a go at um, uh, her ex, you know, talking to their kids, whether it be boys or girls, you're still going to damage them. And boys need the men around them, or otherwise they're never going to go from boyhood into manhood. It takes a male to take them through that because we learn not when being told what to do, but by watching. And if we've got an older man who is behaving the right way, they have been through that stage of the uh, the young buck. They've now moved on to doing the right thing. And uh, the boys will then follow that because the most horrific crimes against women have been actually conducted by boys who didn't have a father. The father was totally absent because of divorce or, as I said before, physically and emotionally absent within the household. So we need to work with both. We don't have to work live together, but we do have to work together.
0: I agree with you on the stats for about the um, fathers not being in the home. Hmm. I know way too many men that have the criminal background just because there was no father in the home hmm. or father wasn't there present, you know, like emotionally present. I can't name actually a single man that I don't know that, Actually, succeeded without having that positive male role model in the home. I don't know any of them that have succeeded, you know, without having that.
1: They have to have their
0: father. That's the biggest thing that I have noticed. And it's just, is that part of like the campfire project that you have?
1: That's a campfire project. Yeah, when I first put it together, see, working with men in business, they were the two things that came up all the time. As a fact they didn't know their role at home because they thought, you know, I'm a baby boomer and, be, you know, after me there was a Gen X and we were all about our identity, be our own, provide, come back and like go out, kill the beast and bring back and feed the family. That's virtually what it was all about. Yeah. And we were doing that, so we're out there getting the resources, but then we were told we're physically and emotionally absent. And we go, okay, we come home and we spend a lot more time at home and then we're not bringing the resources in we're going, we can't be in two places at once. And that was causing no. deep frustration. At the same time, political correctness and gender equality. I believe in gender equality, but the way it's being done has not worked. It's been these quotas which have caused mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Political correctness, we don't fix a problem. We put a Band-Aid on things and we therefore divide people even further. And so the men were frustrated at work. They said, right, we're so worried about saying the wrong thing. When you focus on something... That's what you get. So worried about saying the wrong thing, they would say the wrong thing. And so that then blew out of proportion. So they went, was so frustrated. And I I realised that that was leading to bullying in the workplace and also some domestic violence. And so I thought, right, men needed a safe place where they could come and sit and talk. And so I thought, right, I went through um, uh, initiation into a tribal, uh, uh, Aboriginal tribes back in the, or 50 years, when I was 50, 20 years ago, and that was when I was working with terminal All Patients and I needed some answers for why they were you know, reversing their conditions. And so through some chance meetings, met a group, got invited out Bush, learnt their culture, which was all about love, humility, and respect. They were the main three pillars, It was being boys into manhood. So I thought, That's right, awesome. men needed a safe place where they could sit and talk, tell their stories. But I didn't want it to be a men's group because men's groups on their own, women's groups on their own, me too, men too, yes, those too, where we'll find all the problems that are out there and we needed that, highlight the problems, but they're never going to be the solution to the problems because they're pointing fingers at other people all the time. When you point fingers, you know, just get somebody to do that to you, it aggravates
0: you. Mm-hmm. So yes. we
1: need to work together. So I created the hashtag WeTogether, got the men, I had women in the group, I'd interview the men. Once I got to about 20, 30 men, I'd started doing panel discussions. And now we would talk about drugs, alcohol, masculinity, femininity, The porn, what do you call it, the uh, toxicity of uh, both masculinity and femininity because it exists on both sides. Yeah. And that was when uh, the women started sending me personal messages because I originally wanted the women to be able to hear how men could uh, speak when they felt safe to do so. And it really worked because the women sent me personal messages going, We love these men. We've never heard men talk so passionately and so deeply about their emotions. At the same time, we've never heard them speak so wisely about how we can improve our our communities and society. And they said, is there any chance we can get involved? And I went, yep. I've been waiting for you to put your hands up. Brought the women into the one-on-ones, into the panel discussions. There is um, no uh, restrictions to uh, gender, religion, Culture, everybody's welcome in there. There's only two questions you'll have to answer when you first come in. It's the same question uh, asked in two different ways. Will you respect everybody? Everyone said to me, why the two questions, the same same question? I said, there's your two chances. You don't get a third. The moment anybody is disrespectful to anybody, they're out. The oldest man I've interviewed was 99 years old. The youngest to actually conduct an interview where he interviewed his father was nine years old. We've wow. had uh, all genders and cultures. Everybody uh, is welcome to uh, put their hand up and tell their stories. I've spoken with all the different genders, you know, people who have transitioned from male to female, females to male, uh, lesbians, uh, gays, heterosexuals, everybody is welcome in there. Because, as I said before, no two people on the planet uh, have the uh, same story. They're, everyone's got a different story, different personalities. So everybody there has a, um, their story is valuable. And I started out being the only one, having the pleasure of sitting there and uh, feeling that respect that they would open up and tell me their stories. We had some horrific stories that came out and some that people said, I've never spoken to anybody else before. But my job was to be the eyes and ears and not the mouth. So if I did ask some questions, usually I sit there for 45 minutes, the person's talking, I won't interrupt them because their unconscious mind is steering the conversation and finally getting to the conscious mind that hasn't been listening to it what the unconscious mind has been trying to tell them. So I sit there and hold that space for them. I usually say it's the best therapy they've ever had. And i go, well, you've had the best uh, uh, therapist yourself. Your unconscious mind has finally got through to you. Well, I just facilitated the space. And so the group has uh, grown with inter- interviewing people all over the world. And now uh, two of the guys that I uh, put together, introduced about two years ago, They had only up until recently had only finally met each other face to face. They had been running a charity now for two years between the two of them over StreamYard, over Zoom. And uh, it's called the Business of Smiles where they go out into the public, meet people and uh, talk to them. And uh, they usually, people usually get their attention very quickly because they're wearing big smiley T-shirts plus these very bright yellow socks which have these little yellow dots all over them. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the black dots. Tough times you're going yeah. to go through in your life. They're going to happen. You're not going to get out of it. True. But the yellow, the wolf, the into sun, the they support, the right support you're having around you, camaraderie of friends, right therapists, etc. They walk up to people, you know, thank them for hanging in through COVID, through the fires, the floods, etc. Thank them for supporting other people. Ask them if they can give them a pair of socks. If the people take the socks, which most times they do, they then um, – Uh, ask if they can tell them the story, they tell them a bit more about the black dots and the the rest of it. And that usually means that people then just break down and just start talking about what they've been through. And so their target now is to run from Sydney to Melbourne, which is about 1,300 kilometres. It'll take them about two and a half weeks to do the run. Going through all the villages and all the townships, handing out socks and starting conversations. Their target is 10,000 socks to start 10,000 conversations on mental health. The more we talk about it, the more we remove the stigma of it. Because getting back to what I was going to say before, (coughs) that everybody is on the mental health scale. A lot of us are very lucky to be at one end of the scale. But as we get out of bed one morning and you kick your toe, all of a sudden you're feeling really cranky and everything goes. We slide up and down that scale every day, but how far we slide down and how far we stay at the other end, it's a matter of our circumstances. And people should not feel stigma around that but just realise that their circumstances, their environment, how they've handled it has kept them in that position. So by having the right people around them, their handling of it can change. We may not be able to change their physical environment, but they're able to deal with things differently. They're able to see it in a different light. And so this is, uh, you know, that's where my uh, profiling has led me to, is leaving that uh, legacy, as I say. What you do for yourself dies with you but what you do for others in the community is not always will be eternal
0: yeah that's amazing it's a beautiful way to end all this too mm. i really appreciate your time and energy alan in all of this what's the best way for people to get in contact with you one more time
1: well my website which is alanstevens.com.au and as i said you know if they want to do uh, give themselves a, a bit of a a, a lead up with uh, reading people and building relationships just put the forward slash after that in the word free, F R E, and they can get that free course. And then awesome. from there, off my website, there's a contact form if they'd like to have a chat with me. And I'm always happy to have a free chat with people.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time and your energy. Um, not just Please. you, Alan, but also the energy – The Time and the energy of our audience as well for listening to the Healing for the Soul podcast. So be sure to follow me, Robin Stoltman, on or Healing for the Soul on social media. And my guest as well. Do you have social media, Alan?
1: Yep. I can send those over if you like. You can put those in the show notes. There's quite a few different areas they can find me.
0: Awesome. I will definitely do that. Thank you.
1: Thank you.